Hello guys and welcome to episode 7 of Diary of a Security Consultant, uh, the show where we talk all things security consultancy, Irish security industry, international security context. Um, so welcome back, episode 7, uh, a little bit uh, of a gap in the middle, we had about 10 days of a gap again, two reasons, one, it's just been so, so busy, uh, and two, I'm just trying to get the timings right in between them to get the most amount of interaction going and I was putting about five days apart and now I've moved and see if we can go to eight or nine days apart. So I'm just trying to see what day of the week etc. So you guys if anyone has any feedback on, on what day of the week is better or what seems to get the most traction then do let me know. And also what obviously fits into my own schedule when I can go home. This is actually my fourth morning at home where I could pop home for a couple of hours in probably almost two weeks, I would say, with the way business has been. So yeah. Uh, busy uh, last couple of weeks, uh, really, really important business meeting we had last week uh, with a brand new client, which looks like it's going to take off and give us a brand new consultancy contract for a nationwide uh, provider. <coughs> and we've had a lot of protective services work on the last couple of weeks. We've had a, a pretty full-on, long hours, long days, uh, protective services contracts with a, a, a global marketing company that uses from time to time uh, for some of their VIPs and clients coming in. So we've had a pretty busy week with that. And then obviously over here we've had, in Ireland we've had three storms each weekend after the month, culminating in a status red this week. So we've been supporting clients through continuing uh, continuity plans and stuff like that, uh, about things like business continuity, risk management, getting staff into work, out of work, when they should make the calls, that sort of stuff. And then obviously we have the big worldwide one, coronavirus, where anybody lucky enough to have a contract selling dust masks could potentially be a millionaire this week. We're obviously trying to stay out of the scaremongering and stuff like that, but we'll talk about that a little bit uh, over the next few minutes, I suppose, because it has been a big issue, you know. Um, in the last kind of week, we've been getting phone call after phone call, message after message. Uh, what should we do? Corporate clients, people with um, you know, clients at training centre, uh, clients who've got people travelling overseas. Uh, we've got people who were interested in sending their, their, their children on a school trip and stuff like that. Uh, I suppose they just Google, you know risk management or risk uh, risk advice or whatever and we, we tend to come up somewhere along the line or they've come across one of our articles or something like that but I suppose we've been telling people to take sensitive precautions you know but the scaremongering that's out there is, is absolutely unbelievable obviously there's a fear attached to it and it's, it's classic you know we can even map people's behaviour and how they're going to react you know uh, the tabloids aren't doing people any favours personally I think that the health authorities are doing quite well in this uh, the World Health Organisation has some great uh, advice out there uh, for workplaces and schools and stuff like that. Uh, the health service in Ireland, we've got what, one confirmed case here and one not in Ireland. Um, I think they're managing it quite well. They're getting that balance between um, getting the information out and not scaring the life out of people uh, very, very well. I suppose I'm not a health professional. I don't necessarily give advice what my business is risk and security. Uh, but I suppose from my perspective, I'd say to people, look, follow the precautions that are there, take sensible precautions. Um, People have been on about hand sanitizer sold out, a uh, contact of mine who's, who's in that business, uh, Lambert, uh, they, they do a fantastic range of stuff like that, to do pest control and hygiene supplies and stuff like that. They've been sold out numerous times and they're doing a great job of keeping their clients stocked. So we just said, look, stick to the basics. Hygiene, deep clean, separation, sensible precautions with, with transport uh, and travel and stuff like that. And then obviously not feeding into that, looking to the right places for sources, you know. Because it says something on Facebook uh, seems to be enough to drive people into mass hysteria. Uh, and it's something I'm going to talk on in the next couple of weeks the impact of fake news on the security industry. I've seen a number of them over the, the weekend, even this last weekend, but videos that have emerged of 
crime incidents and all of a sudden there has been attributed to crime happening in, in Ireland or other areas. Now when you actually look into the background of the video, it's, it's absolutely fake. It's an old video from another country in a different context. And uh, I saw a, a recent, uh, a really, really good one, Justin uh, in uh, Elysian Risk Management did a really good video on how to identify fake news and how to do your own, uh, I suppose, OSINT, uh, open source intelligence gathering on these types of videos when they come out to see about who actually is spreading this information because this information, whether you like it or not, is a real risk in the security industry at the moment. So it's something I'm going to cover in the next couple of weeks on a, on a podcast. Um, today, I'm going to go over the last couple of topics that we, that we did. Uh, we've had a guest article on one of my own articles, uh, and then we had a, an external article that I wrote as well. We're going to look at a product review. We're going to launch a competition. I'll tell you a bit about our competition, and we're going to tell you about some, some new stuff that we have coming up uh, next week, some of the articles that we're going to have live uh, next week. So I suppose in the last 10 days, we've had two articles go live. One is my own. Uh, it was on security risk registers and why I believe all companies, big and small, should design and maintain a risk register that looks at corporate risk, not just health and safety risk. Um, I think everybody should have one. Uh, whether you're a security company or a small business, you should be looking at corporate risk. I suppose we're, we're ingrained in thinking health and safety risk, safety statements, risk assessment for that. But really do we take a step back and look at kind of strategic risk or governance risk or things like that. And where I came from, we had a, a general election recently here in Ireland. And it brought about some, well, it hasn't yet, but looks like it's going to bring about some pretty serious political change uh, in Ireland. And that political change, I'm sure all the big corporate companies out there have been looking at it and kind of going, how does this affect our business in Ireland and how does it even affect our business internationally change in Ireland? You know? And it got me thinking, I was sitting down having a cup of coffee, watching the election results coming in, and I thought, I wonder how many security companies on Monday morning are going to be looking at their risk register to see how this is going to affect their clients and therefore their business. And then I thought to myself, well, how many security companies actually hold a risk register, a corporate risk register? And I would say, aside from the big global security providers, I would say not a lot. Uh, I don't know what the market is like in whatever country you are that's listening here, but certainly in Ireland, I would, I would estimate that the vast majority of security providers, security companies in Ireland, are owner-operated, one to 100 employees, full-time employees, and the owner works operationally within the business for some most or part of the, the or all of the time. Um, so there's not a lot of thought given there to strategy, corporate governance, um, political risk kind of thing. Because it, but it is a real issue. If your clients are looking at it, then we should be looking at it. So in terms of things like political risk, what would change if there was a political change in Ireland? And the policy promises, or even some of the policy promises, that some of these political parties had, had, brought, uh, had, had promised during elections were actually followed through on. How would that affect your clients and therefore how would that affect you? We've already seen uh, in the small inkling of political change, and I'm not getting into the politics of it, I don't agree or disagree with many of them, you know, um, <clears throat> but we've seen it affect the stock market, we've seen it affect uh, companies in their, in their announcements around things like share price and uh, future business, you know, that could come out either for or against various things. Um, how would that affect you? How would a change in law, a serious change in law or a serious change in taxation affect you as a business? A serious change in employment law affect you as a business? And so that's what a risk register is. It doesn't have to be overly formal. It can be overly formal. You can create very, very formal documents, but it doesn't have to be. It's just you sitting down and thinking about, right, how would a political change affect me? How would a legal change affect me? How would a taxation change affect me? How would a governance change affect me? 
critical one for owner operated business. How is the death of the owner and founder of the company affect the business? If I started the company from scratch and I built it up and I'm the CEO, I'm the president, I'm the operations manager, director, and sometimes I also make the pitch. And God forbid, I'm in an accident tomorrow and I die. What happens to the business? What happens to the hundred people who work for me, whose livelihood and jobs rely on this? It's no good saying, well, it passes to my next of kin. Well, what does your next of kin know how to access the bank? Do they know how to run a security business? Are they equipped? Do you have a contingency management plan that you can bring in to run the company uh, until such a thing happens? We've seen um, other stuff where we should be on a risk register. What about um, worldwide pandemic risks? So it's starting to be coronavirus. How does this now affect uh, mildly or majorly? Irish security business. Well, there are some places that it is going to affect places that they will have a lot of business travel coming through them, airports, um, places where the elderly or people with uh, existing health issues would be, places like hospitals, uh, care homes that have security provisioning, even retail places like shopping centres and, and, and places, things like that. Um, a very large nightclub um, consortium that I work with uh, from time to time, some of their business in Ireland, some of outside Ireland. Um, contact me about what do they send out and I put together a small package for them that they sent out a text message to all their employees around ID checks, you know, asking the person to hold the ID rather than you holding the ID, uh, having hand sanitizer available to the door staff, uh, instructing security staff not to come in if they're ill or to refuse people entry if they're ill and, and, and things like that, you know, um, trying to maintain separation in the searches, maybe even bringing an extra contingency for the searches if you are going to do searches uh, in the next couple of weeks. but. Is that down on a risk register? What happens if influenza, coronavirus, whatever the illness might be, breaks out among your staff? You can't staff contracts. What's your contingency plan? Uh, your clients can't staff their business. What's your contingency plan? Um, and things like that. And it's certainly worth thinking about. And it's something that I, I put together in, in about an hour, sitting down having a, a, a cup of coffee, and then I thought to myself, yeah, it's definitely worth thinking about. And I opened it out there, as I said this again, if you are a small business and you don't have one, um, just sit down with some trusted people, have a conversation first of all, then commit to the paper and start putting in place. My old saying again comes back, you pay now or you pay later. You start putting in place plans now so it doesn't cost you later, or you don't now and it costs you later. Completely up to you. If anybody wants some help with it, if anybody wants some templates or anything like that, uh, if you're a small business, uh, I'm happy to help and advise. There's no cost involved unless you want to come into actual operating work. Uh, but please feel free to get in touch and at least ask the, ask the question. Um, the second article that went out was a guest article by a friend of mine. Now, for the purpose of this, he works actively in the close protection industry and he's a little bit shy and humble to be fair, you know. He's got a face for radio to be honest, it's not really a TV face. Uh, but he's a really good guy, a really good operator, he's one of these guys who's come up from the, from the bottom uh, and he's gone right up and he's a very high level operator in the industry in Ireland. Uh, and he wrote me an article about close protection in Ireland and how he managed to get into it. And, um, some of the international commentary has been in interesting because in Ireland what we see here quite typically that, that the old argument comes up do you have to be former military or former police to work in the close protection industry or does a good solid security background prepare you with the fundamentals there's pros and cons to both uh, I call him Mike for the purposes of the uh, Michael for the purposes of the, the article so I'll stick with that for now uh, Michael said when he did his, uh, his training Many people in the industry were that close-minded, have to be military, have to be law enforcement, etc, etc. Now, I've worked in the close protection industry in Ireland for on and off. Uh, we still do a little bit of protective services work. 
home plate full time uh, for about the last seven or eight years, and that was in the same previously to that. Um, it is still very much a closed shop in Ireland. Uh, there are select few providers with people with very high levels of skill set and some who don't uh, operating in the industry, and it tends to be either work with them or you get recommended by them, or you don't, and you're either in or you're out. It's not fantastically paid in Ireland, but it is well paid. It's a, it's, it's a good occupation. Uh, the work is sparse, uh, but it's good work when you do get it. Ireland, per se, is a low-risk country, but there are risks that are probably unique to Ireland, and risks same as everyone anywhere else, I suppose, when they're bringing important people in. Uh, but uh, the answer was really good, and I thought it was just a, a program thing that happened in Ireland, but I started in contact from people who work in the Middle East, uh, people who work in the States who would have been contacts of mine in this industry, people who work in the UK, and it's the same thing worldwide, it's quite a close shop. Now you could go on and on about the argument about does a, a military or police background give you an advantage. I certainly think it gives you certain advantages in terms of the, the discipline, the use to follow orders, the you know the the, um, the physical skills that it probably gives you, etc. etc. Uh, some of the hard skills that it gives you in terms of reconnaissance and counter surveillance and um, radio usage and stuff like that. But also on the other side of that, you get people come from the private security industry or even outside the private security industry coming with it, uh, who who would have developed might not have the same discipline every morning up at five a.m. etc. But some who do. You know, I certainly would have had a lot of physical discipline as I was learning in the industry, uh, but possibly would have better things in terms of soft skills and negotiating skills and having to adapt and make do with what you have and working within business environments that they would have those advantages over people who maybe come from a law enforcement or military working with limited resources and, and things like that so I've, I've met people in my career from both and I've met people from both who've come through both who have been absolutely fantastic at their jobs and I've met people who come from both who I personally wouldn't leave in charge of the, the remote controls of the TV um, <clears throat> Their background is not what made them that, it's them as an individual and their application to the job. And I read an article really, I forget who wrote it, but I will credit them at some point on LinkedIn, about growth mindset. Uh, and I think that's one of the big things, whether you're from a law enforcement, a military background, or a private or civilian background, or a security background. I think the growth mindset, the willingness to learn, invest the time, do the dirty work. I've done the dirty work, I would consider myself you know, head door and security manager level. Then when I started doing close protection, I was you're mining this hallway and this door. And I wasn't afraid to do that 17, 18 hours on your, on your feet, mining a hall. It's, it's not below anybody, you know, when you're, when you're starting off and you're learning the game and you're moving up. And I think it certainly has um, uh, merit to it in terms of learning from the ground up. You can do, I did my close protection training uh, with a fantastic company in the UK, um, as, did, as did Mike, Mike, who wrote the article. Uh, but you learn a certain amount of skills and knowledge in a controlled environment, even under the stress field of the controlled environment, getting out there and actually standing for 17, 18 hours and, and still deploying those skills and knowledge, trying to remember those skills and knowledge months and, and years later. That's what I don't mind, you have to be constantly training and equipping yourself and, you know, I hope that that's something I have to do and I know there's others that do. So, you know, I've seen guys come in from other backgrounds, law enforcement or military, who've been out of that career for 10 years, I haven't done any further upskilling, but, but my background in the military or my background in law enforcement is enough, blah, blah, blah. And it's not, skills that are 10 years old age and haven't been used are, are not skills anymore. Hard skills and soft, soft skills are like all skills. We call them hard skills are soft skills. So hard skills like your comms, your medics, your, um, your physical skills, um, firearm skills, depending on where you're working. 
uh, and your soft skills like uh, ability to communicate and empathy and adaptability um, uh, confidence and appearance and things like that you know uh, all of those skills are perishable unless you're constantly working on them uh, and you're constantly networking with people who are working on them you know we've got groups online and stuff like that there's some really good groups on there where you get really good advice in the groups um, some of the ones that kind of spring to mind, one of the ones I mean, the Close Protection Ireland and Northern Ireland group is quite a good one. Uh, I think Joe Resources group uh, in Facebook is quite good, the um, Protected Security group. And then there's some other ones out there where the, uh, the membership is fantastic, it's a huge membership, but the administration of the group is quite loose and there's a lot of hammering of people and silly stuff that goes on and people being put down. And uh, I think you, you can be a very high level operator, if that's the way you treat other people, I think that marks you down as a quite a poor human if, if nothing else you know? I think we should be trying to help everybody regardless of their, of their background to develop because that's what makes the industry better and people talk about, talk about that's competition that's what the comp- more people are in more competition for me for the same number of jobs but the only way we professionalise this, this industry is by making it better and this elitist attitude uh, by making other people better um, through whatever little bit we can give to ourselves there's going to be bits that I know absolutely nothing about and I'm going to look for help and there's going to be parts of the industry where I think I'm quite skilled and knowledgeable and I'm going to be willing to offer Help. But I think that's how the industry grows, and this elitist attitude of keeping people out is one of the things that can irritate me from, from time to time. Uh, third topic, I also had an article called The Value of Economy. Uh, it was published on the uh, Security Professionals Directory, something which I contributed for the last number of months. Uh, what I call the value of economy is, um, I forget who uh, I read an article recently on it, uh, I think it was Dr. Richard Diskin actually, uh, Diskin, sorry, on um, LinkedIn, who wrote an article about it about are we really a profession and what would you call a profession? A profession being a, 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 a person working in an industry that has a set standard criteria for performance and qualification. So we talk about the security industry and I don't think there's many people around the world that can say that they uh, have continuous development of security and stuff like that. There's fantastic organisations on there like ACES and the, the UK Security Institute and IGNI, the uh, Institute, uh, International Security Management uh, Institute and stuff like that who do great CPD and programs, and but their membership is very, very limited. And there's lots and lots of people out there who call themselves security professionals, but they're working at officer level or supervisor level or manager level or director level, who don't fit in the definition of perfect security professional because they're not, they don't have qualifications, they don't have experience, they don't have continuous development, which is what brings you to that professional level, which is what clients are looking to see. And it's, a, it's the chicken and egg story, this old Mexican standoff between we don't believe we're paid enough. No? So therefore, why should I do any extra work if I'm not being paid for it? And the client's looking at that going, well, the standard of service that you are providing now is here. They pay you more, I need you here. And you're saying, well, until I get more money, I'm not going here. So who's going to win? I'm not going to raise the bar until you pay me more money. And I'm not going to pay you more money until you raise the bar. Buyer always wins. You know, the buyers hold the power. So until they see a value an extra value in what they're doing, nobody's going to pay anymore for that value. And it's tough to take sometimes for security professionals that you have to put the work in at crappy pay with crappy conditions to get to the stage where people will pay you more. But that's the reality of the value economy, right? I'll link the article down below if anyone wants to have a quick look at it or read it over the next couple of days. I'll link all the articles in the, in the show notes wherever you are, whether you're listening on podcasts or watching on YouTube, I'll, I'll link it all. I'll do a quick product review and then we're going to move on to next week. Uh, product review that I'm going to do this week is for a product that I've used for, for many, many years. It is the Life Systems UK 
force aid kit. Um, this one here is the Trek force aid kit. It's a personal force aid kit. Designed for trekking but can be used for lots and lots of things. Uh, I brought my one. I've used these for about 10 years, so just so you can see. Uh, for those of you watching on YouTube, you've seen my one. For those of you listening, you'll know that it's the same. It's the Trek force aid pack. Uh, it's about eight years old and it is well, well beaten up. Now I've made a few modifications, but for 10 years later you can see the stitching is absolutely perfect. And the kit's a bit packed out because I've used it for lots and lots of stuff. Now, this is a force aid kit, not a trauma kit. I've got other trauma kits that I use for bags and that's something we'll come on to later on, but this is a force aid kit and a very high quality force aid kit. They come in this small red pack. I've also got the Explorer kit, which is a bigger kit again in my bag and in my car. Uh, comes with a swing tag uh solid zips waterproof zips it's durable it's waterproof on the swing tag you can open it up and it gives you all the ingredients so these retail for anywhere between kind of 15 and 20 euro so you're paying for good quality stuff you could very well go to any chemist you know your local boots or and pay 10 euro for four day kit but when you buy when you see the products that's in here the quality speaks for itself so it zips all up, uh, all up and on like a clamshell, it has a clamshell opening over, we'll get to that in a second, but just to go through the contents, inside it, it's got a primary care leaflet, uh, giving you some instructions, uh, scissors, tape, safety pins, gloves, tweezers, crepe bandages, woven bandages, paracetamol, blister plasters, wipes, bone gel, gauze, low adherence dressings, adherence dressings and plasters, all in a kit that basically fits in the palm of your hand fits in uh, cargo shorts and uh, cargo pants, fits in, has a solid, solid belt loop on the back that carries in the event at events and stuff like that. Um, it opens up like a clamshell. Uh, and inside on one side you'll see it's got a zippered pocket. And again, it's transparent, uh, like a mesh, so you can see exactly what's in it. All of the stuff is facing outward with the description on the outside so you can see. And on the far side it's got a pouch type thing and that's where you'll find your your tweezers your scissors all that kind of stuff um the gloves actually this is one thing i like about it when they give you the gloves the packs of gloves they put them in sealed envelopes so you can take these out and put them in your pocket and it's in a sealed envelope so you're not getting you know the powdered gloves and stuff like that or your gloves aren't getting contaminated in your pocket from other things in your pocket and stuff like that which i really really like i've, I've taken them out and put, and i've taken to doing that with some of my other gloves and stuff taking them out of the box and putting them into small envelopes like that uh, the gear, the quality of the stuff in it, the scissors, the tweezers, the bandages, it is top, top quality gear. And it's something that I've carried for a long, long time. I bought this new one, uh, not to use it because my old one is still in very good condition, but this, this forms part of a prize that I'm giving away today, so I'm going to go through it. Um, so I won't go through the kit again, but say Life Systems UK, fantastic mate, I've got a number of the force aid kits. This is the Trek one, retails to between 15 and 20 quid. I highly, highly recommend it as a force aid kit. Again, it's not a trauma kit, it's some minor, minor force aid uh, stuff. Uh, and again, to show you, after about 10 years, mine is still in, in top-notch quality. I have made some, um, some modifications to it, like putting a zipper pull on, it's easier to get off. And you'll see, uh, for those of you watching on video, when I open up mine, it's pretty wedged out. You know, I've got some extra medications and uh, suture strips, and I put record cards, casualty cards in there and stuff like that as well. But, um, I'll do a full rundown on what I keep on my medical kits on another video because I've got six or seven in the other place. And, uh, and again, they're to do with my, my level of training, not necessarily yours. Some people watching this will have a, a far higher level of medical training than I will, and some will have less. But for anybody, four stage training or even below that, for the basic stuff for yourself, to have in a backpack or a pocket, 
for the minor stuff, cuts and scrapes and stuff like that, this is a very, very, very good kit uh, to have, and I very much recommend it. Again, I'm not sponsored by these. They don't give me anything for free. I don't get a link or anything like that. Uh, they are on our products page. That's an affiliate link that goes to. You don't need. You can go to Google. You know, Life Systems UK. They're fantastic kits. The Trek kit. There is a smaller kit than that, which is the mini or the personal uh, one. It's a smaller waterproof thing. But I think for for bang for your buck, for value for money, this one is the best kit. The, the the Trek kit that you have here. Which brings me nicely on to um, what's happening this week. I've been looking this week that uh, Michael, my close protection friend, uh, has written me a number of articles this week. One I'm going to put out on Tuesday is about, uh, for corporate companies, the difference between hiring a driver and a security driver, and the difference in mindset and, and approach and things like that. It'll be of interest to those who work in the consultancy business or in the close protection business or in the buying of security, where you should employ drivers. Uh, and this, this extends beyond drivers, it's the aggregate, but, but even things like receptionists and things like that who have a certain amount of security skills and security background. And uh, he's also put together a really good article on uh, the go bag or the grab bag um, uh, concept, I suppose, for close protection security consultancy, which has given me an opportunity to go through mine as well. Uh, so the article for that is going to come out on Friday before I record this video, and I'm going to add in mine. And in, on that video next week, I'm going to go. Uh, backpack um, bag that I use for uh, consultancy site visits and close protection work uh, and even for training and, and stuff like that and show you what's in, in my particular bag and I'm going to talk through all the content, what goes into it uh, and I'll, I'll also reference uh, Michael's article in that as well. Uh, so something I'm really looking forward to, I'm a bit of a gear junkie, so I, like, I, I buy and I keep good quality gear um, but I develop that over time, I don't go spend a fortune at the beginning, you know. Um, Speaking of go bags and grab bags, uh, and I'll launch a competition by the time this video comes out today, it will already be on Facebook. I will put the link to the Facebook competition in the um, article, in the show notes uh, below. Um, the competition prize is for, I'm just going to reach across and grab it over here, my backpack starter kit. So this is uh, the Security Operative branded uh, backpack, uh, two pocket backpack, uh, water resistant, lightweight. Uh, back straps, etc. on it. Uh, it's branded. This would be the last security operative branded backpack ever produced. Uh, there's only about 25, maybe 30 of these in existence. Some were given away in the previous couple of competitions. Most of them were given to people on my own team who I work with in protective services, uh, where we would have given their equipment in a bag like this. But it's branded, and why I say it's the last, and we're going through a rebrand in the next couple of, of weeks. And that rebrand is going to result in a change in the logo and, and how we identify ourselves through a more, I suppose, corporate feel. So this will be the last one we've ever, ever um, produced. Uh, in it is going to be the Life System uh, Force Aid Tech Kit. Um, good quality uh, power bank, uh, 10,800 milliamp power bank. Uh, some of the small, minor stuff, shoe shine kit, uh, emergency ponchos, um, armband holder for your security license, security branded lanyard holder. Some of these stuff I got from Aftermath uh, Communications or Aftermath Security Equipment and they very kindly threw in a few of extras when I, when I purchased them. So thank you very much Sean and Sally in Aftermath. Um, security notebooks. Uh, I got these branded security officer uh, notebook ones from Aftermath and I'll put in a couple of those. So thanks again to the guys. 
and my regular Sylvine um, ones, if I have any of the security operative ones, I'll throw those in as well. Uh, my favourite Zebra pens, good quality black pens, uh, right in all dark conditions. The most sought after pieces of equipment uh, in the Irish security industry at the minute, hand sanitizers. A really, really good quality 350 lumen LED torch. Uh, I've used these and I've given them out to people on the protective service team. They're fantastic metal durable torch. Uh, and a belt pouch for putting all this stuff in if you choose to do it. It's got a four pocket belt pouch, uh, goes on the belt, has lots of pockets, fits your phone, your power bank, etc. All that stuff into it. So that's going to be launched on Facebook. Oh, I think I also have some uh, earpieces to go with it. Uh, so I'm going to put some earpieces, a piece of tube earpieces into it as well. So that's going to go out on um, Facebook today, which is uh, Monday when we're recording this video. Hopefully, this video will be earlier tonight or tomorrow. Uh, it'll be open for a week and then I'll pick the winner next Monday and I'll announce it on the video next Monday when it's going out and announce it on um, on the Facebook page. So if many of our channels from our LinkedIn channel etc etc it'll go to Facebook from there on in. So I'm going to leave it at that. I'll be back next Monday with another video. I'm going to do it weekly from here on. I just want to see if this Monday suit better and so spend some other days. If you want to find us you can get us on Facebook, the security operative, Twitter, at security operative. Uh, LinkedIn, our, the, the Security Operative Company page, which now has almost 1,200 followers. Instagram, uh, at the Security Operative. Uh, and if you look to get us an email, it's info at securityoperative.ie or the website www.securityoperative.ie. Until next week, thanks very much. This is episode 7, finished. Have a great week.